0: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Good evening everyone. Welcome to the new episode of Shahruh Nightlife, episode 9. About Quran, Hadith and Mazabs in Islam. Mazabs is also called School of Thoughts. So, um, it will help it'll help you to understand what this is about. You know? Mazabs is also called School of Thoughts in Islam. Okay, so, um, the Quran, right? Yes, we all know. Muslims, we believe that is the true word of God that was revealed uh, from Allah to Angel Gabriel and Angel Gabriel came to Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Across the span of 23 years, these verses came to him and eventually it forms the entire Quran. And also, uh, what are the hadiths, uh, the sayings and the practice of our dear Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? There are many hadiths, but in total in Islam, we have six canonical hadiths. Uh, most of you should be familiar, you know, Sahih Al-Bukhari, Sahih Muslims, Sunan Abu Daud, Sunan Al-Tirmizi, you know, uh, Sunan Al-Nasai, and Ibn Majah. So these are the six uh, canonical hadiths, uh, which means they are, they have a chain of authentic uh, people who passed down, you can can actually go back to the source of where was this revealed, when was this revealed, and how was it revealed at that time. Um, So that's, briefly what the hadith is about and mazabs is the school of thought so you know in southeast asia we are mostly um what's the word again Shafi'i, yeah, Shafi'i. Imam. <laughs> yeah, we are mostly Shafi'i mazabs. Okay, so without much further ado, I'll uh, just share with you who are here today. The panelists we have on my top right, I'm putting you in the forefront, is Edison Amir Tan. He's a new revert, so I think this tonight's topic will be very beneficial since he's learning a lot about Islam. And also, we have here next is Iskander, all the way from Netherlands. Uh, he's uh, been around for all our salam for all our podcasts. Uh, so I am so thankful that he's always here with us. So thank you so much for joining us again, brother. Next, uh, I'd like to bring to the forefront is our star for tonight, which is uh, Saiful Rahman, uh, who you know has a lot of experience and knowledge in this. So tonight he will be sharing us with more about these three topics. So, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.
1: Waalaikumsalam, warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.
0: So yes. Saifur Ahan, could yes. you help us first understand more about the Quran and you know, how, what is it about and to help our
1: viewers know this? Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Uh, first of all, I want to welcome uh, most of you who have been faithfully joining us and this is already our seventh episode, I think. Uh, and hopefully all of you are in a state of good health and well-being. May Allah protect you, particularly in these trying times, uh, you know, in this pandemic. It seemingly seems to be getting worse, uh, especially around this region of ours. So, inshallah, may Allah lift us from this condition soon enough, inshallah. So, before we talk about what is the Quran, uh, let us... Sorry, sorry.
0: Uh, Saifu Rahman. because Brother uh, Taufik is here. I just like Ah, to bring him to the forefront. So, you know... Assalamualaikum, Brother Taufik. Welcome to the stream. Thanks for having me um, uh, again. Uh, Dr. Taufik here is also here to join us. So, uh, he tonight we are talking about the Quran and the hadith. So, welcome. Okay, now, you. back to cipher Rathmain. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Funny lah you. <laughs> okay. Before we talk about the Quran, I want to examine some of the names of the Quran. All of us are familiar with the Quran being called the Quran. But the Quran has other names as well, and it would be instructive to know. If you know the names, we know roughly what it stands for. Okay, so uh, some of the names, are there are many, right? I can't list all of them down. It, it takes too much time. Um, the Quran is known by number one, of course, the Quran, the recital. And this we take from Surah al waqiah chapter uh, verse 77. Allah says, al-Karim. This is indeed the Quran, which is the most honourable. Then it is also known as the Al-Kitab, the book. And here Allah says, This is the book which there is no doubt in it. Right? In surah Al-Baqarah. And then it is also known as Al-Furqan, uh, the criterion of judgment. Uh, again, in surah Al-Baqarah, Allah says, Allah revealed the Quran, the guidance for the people, and clear proofs of guidance and criterion. And this is uh, verse uh, 185. Okay, so, it's also known as Tanzil. Tanzil means the final revelation, salami Allah. Fi mimma nazalna alaihi abdina. And if you are in doubt about what we have sent to you, our servant Muhammad, al-baqarah Okay, and then it's also known as Bushra. Bushra, the glad tidings. Right, and then it's known as Mukarrama, the honoured. It's called as Kalamullah, the word of Allah. So, it, it comes... In, in various in various names but I think the most popular that we are familiar with the Quran is to call it as the Quran, the recital. Right? But uh in the last the last name that I mentioned, Kalamullah, Allah says in Surah Tawba, uh it means the word of Allah. That kind of encapsulates roughly what the meaning of the Quran is. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of uh, the names of the Quran.
0: So, uh, the Quran you say is a recital. Yeah. So initially, it's not a book. Is that correct?
1: Uh, uh kind of. Yeah, <laughs> they did not have books. They don't have books at that time, right? So they write oh, it on okay. parchments, on wood, on 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 scrolls, uh, whatever they can have. And there were not many uh, people who knew how to read or write during the time of the Prophet Sallallahu <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So, so
2: but is it I, true that?
1: Uh, say again. Sorry.
2: So is it true that when uh, before the Muslims compiled the Qur'an into a written form, actually uh, the Qur'an was already written somewhere else by Allah or is that? Uh... Oh,
1: okay, kind of good question. So the, the Qur'an in its entirety has been prepared, have been written, has been locked in safe and key uh, with Allah in what we know as the low mafus. Right? And so, as revelation, bit by bit, over the span of 23 years, uh, Allah commanded as-salam to, to take this verse from this sacred place, sacred tablet, or some of you uh, may, may understand it, and then revealed it piece by piece to the Prophet wasalam, according to the way Allah intends it to be, uh, to be revealed. But however, although there were not many uh, people who knew how to read and write, uh, the lack of that is compensated by something which is greater f- as far as I'm concerned. They did not know how to read and write. So, what did they do? They
0: memorise.
1: They memorise the Quran, <laughs> right? So, they, so, so, you have a whole community of Muslims, new Muslims, memorising uh, in the initial part, piece by piece of revelation. And eventually, when the whole uh, revelation has been completed, memorising the whole uh, the whole Quran by heart. Right and and the difference or the irony in that in comparing to our situation is that we have many many books of the Quran. I mean, if you go to any mosque, there <laughs> there probably be more Quran than uh, uh, congregants you know in the mosque. But we don't memorize them. Now that we have the benefit of the book that we can easily open it, and now we you know it's even easier. We have the you know the app in, in 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 our phones. So everywhere we go, we will never stop from reading the Quran, but. Then become we become more dependent on it and therefore we lack in memorizing it. Ooh. yeah okay. so that's, that' that's the kind of, that's the, the kind of like the dichotomy between uh, not knowing how to read and write and therefore you're resorted to memorizing it and put it to heart uh, as opposed to now we, uh, we have a lot of copies, a lot of different mediums in which we have the one but we lack the memorizing of it.
2: Ah okay. I think so, that Socrates said something similar, right? He was angry about uh the invention of writing so that everybody forgot, you know, got bad yeah. memories because they started to write, right? right?
1: They not only have bad memories, they they just don't want to commit anything to memory because there's always a reference to it. Right. So if you if you if you study the history of some of our scholars, for example, Imam Ghazali, when he was young, he was traveling and he was carrying all his books with him, and then halfway he was um uh, the robbers on, along the highway, uh, you know, wanted to rob his stuff. And then and then he said, no, please, you can take anything except my books. These are the world to me. Uh, these are the most precious to me, you know, as, as you can probably imagine. And then uh, the robbers just laughed at him and said, if they are so precious, why are you uh, afraid that you will lose it? Right? So since that time and in the very young age, I think if, even below... Below 10 years old, uh, this happened to him. And since that time, then he realized that then the best way in which he studies would be for every time that he studies, he tried to memorize the verses of the Quran or he tried to memorize whatever that he needs to to, to memorize in the course of his education. Subhanallah. And then look at what he has done to, to the world now. Oh, Subhanallah. Right? Yeah. Well, uh, so, <laughs> coming back to the Quran. So, uh, like, like Fredas was saying, you're right. The Quran is uh, literally the literal transcription of Allah's noble, noble speech, in a sense. And, and, and because uh, of the different dimensions in, in, in the way in which we understand this, the Quran constitutes the earthly reproduction of an uncreated and eternal he- heavenly original, which is His speech. Mm-hmm. Right. So the compilation of the Quran of these verbal revelations was given to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam over a period of twenty-three years, depending on the context and the circumstances that that moment requires. The Muslims. So the Quran is the word of God, and contains complete guidance for mankind. Much of the Quran is about God. Uh, especially the, the Mekan uh, revelation essentially about Tauhid, his oneness, his attributes, uh, and men's relationship to him. And also, in a sense, after the Muslim have migrated and there was a community, men's relationship to one another. Yeah, but it's, it also contains directives for his followers, historical accounts of prophets and people, and good news for the believers and warnings for the disbelievers. So let me ask you, usually when you're non-Muslim friends or non-Muslims uh, talk about the Quran, what would be their accusation of the Quran?
0: That is not a... That's made by men or that... Made by men? Yeah. Or that in terms is, of its content. There's many... They say right? there's many versions. They say, they say yeah. there's many versions, right?
1: Okay, so so that version that we refer to are translations, right? And you know, in the market, you can you can I can throw a coin, and you can get like minimum six or eight versions, right, of the translation, right? But usually, what would be the complaints, even by Muslims, when he said, "How come you don't read the Quran?" Oh, because the Quran has too many, too many what?
3: Verse,
1: chapter. Verse. Okay, that's so that's so basic, right? That shouldn't mm-hmm. be a complaint, but the content of it, the Quran the has too many what? What would usually be what people complain about? Repetition, maybe. Repetition, maybe. Oh, yeah. Too many warnings. I'm pushing for content. Too many warnings. Warnings. Too many warnings. Too many uh, punishments.
4: Oh, too many laws. It's, yeah.
0: right? Oh, oh I got that one. They said it's in Arabic. I don't understand
1: because yeah. I'm Chinese. Oh, okay. I don't understand Arabic.
0: Now, how do you okay, know? you're I'm gonna, gonna deal with this later on.
1: on. <laughs> but yeah, those are the points that sadly even Muslims complain the Quran is there are too many rules and regulation punishment and so it's kind of a turn off for me. But the very same people who always make these comments uh, because we're talking I'm talking about general themes about the Quran right so I want to touch about this the, the the very same people who like to comment in, about the Quran being a book of punishments law and regulation are the very same people who don't even read the Quran. Because if you read the Quran, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so actually, your complaints are invalid, pop, pop, cancel. <laughs> because if you need to read the Quran, actually, about more than half, or almost three quarters of the contents of the Quran are what? If you have read the Quran,
0: have mercy, the most merciful, the most gracious. Not
1: in terms of theme, but oh. what, what does Allah talk about? Mm. His, uh, the story of the prophets. Yeah, the prophets, yeah. yeah, that is the sunnah of how Allah teaches humankind. He teaches us through telling us stories and therefore, you know, hopefully it becomes an inspiration. It becomes a, a guidance because we can talk about the, the law. But if you do not see how this law is being applied in the day-to-day life of a normal human being, in the case examples of prophets, then it, it doesn't make any meaning for most of us. So if if you if you know if you talk about faith or we talk about seeking for forgiveness and Allah says you know be patient uh, always seek for forgiveness and then we don't see the prophet through the their stories through their in, inspiring uh, uh, you know accounts never apply those things we will never know how to apply them. So, the sunnah of the way in which Allah teaches is always by telling stories. Right, and through the stories of these prophets or through the community or, or civilization, then hopefully we get, we get in number one, the way in which the laws are, been, are being applied. Number two, inspiration from how they deal with their specific difficulties or challenges and therefore, you know, give us inspiration of how we should deal with our challenges and difficulties as well. Mm-hmm. So, I want to ask you a quiz. Okay. As you know, always yeah. quiz. How many chapters or surah are there in the Quran? Wow.
2: one hundred fourteen, right? 114.
1: Excellent. Good. The first one being surah.
0: Surah
1: Al-Fatiha. al lah, That's the opening. <laughs> the last one. The last one being surah. Unless. Unless. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. And then if it is 114 chapters, how many parts or is it equally divided, or we call it the juzu? Juza. Mm. 30. 30. 30. So that's why during Ramadan we, we we spoke about this. If you want to start memorizing the Quran, you can either uh, adopt a few strategies. Number one, you memorize or you read according to juzu. right? So so for one month, thirty days, one day one juzu. That that may be about five six pages, and they're kind of like equally divided, oh. right? But it's kind of it, it gets a bit tricky when you say I'm going to memorize four surah or three surah. Right, because one guy will be talking about okay, false surah. Oh my goodness, Al Bakara, Ali Umran, Anissa, Al Maida. It will take forever, <laughs> and then he knows basically, kafirun. Uh, <laughs> one day can finish. Right, so sometimes, uh, you know, when we, we it's instructive for us to be able to know, uh, how many surah uh, you know, sometimes we do it according to surah, sometimes we does it according to jizya in terms of maybe memorizing so that we have a consistent schedule.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So the text of the Quran, and this is a very important point, remains unchanged. The millions of copies of the Quran all over the world are all identical down to the very dot and letter. Mm-hmm. And this assurance came from Allah himself in Surah Al-Hijr. He says, inna nahnu nazzalna dhikra wa inna lahu lah- lahu, fi- lahu uh, he says, uh, inna nahnu zikra, Indeed, it is we who send down the Quran and indeed we were surely guarded from corruption. And I see, you, you can see even in the English translation, the, the affirmation in terms of the language. Indeed, we send down. Indeed, we were surely guarded from corruption. Yeah. So Alhamdulillah, mm-hmm. because of that, uh, the Quran still uh, remain unchanged since, since the beginning to the end, and you don't find this uh, affirmation from in any other previously revealed, divinely revealed books, and hence and that's why they, you know, they got changed. They, you know, there's minus plus here and there, and but mm-hmm. that doesn't happen the Quran. Okay. And there's something unique about the Quran. And like uh, all other books, which are written according to themes or chronological order, the stories in the Quran seems to be a mix. Why? Uh, Let's say, um, uh, I ask uh, Fredaus, you want to know the story about Nabi Adam uh-huh. Okay, Where do you go? Which which chapter of the Quran?
0: Wow, I'm not so pro yet. But I think it's like scattered all over. I don't know which exactly' Yeah, it's scattered yet. all over.
1: So, 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 and how? How do you know? How do you learn about the story of Yadam Is there a but, shortcut to this?
0: No, I must read the whole Quran. Eh. Yeah.
1: So, you have to read the whole Quran. So, the wisdom, I mean, some people take it as a criticism that the Quran is not like the Bible or it's not like a storybook where it's uh, arranged according to themes or according to chronological order. It's sort of like here and there. Uh, you have four verses, four five verses in the first part of Al-Baqarah and then you move on, you move on and then Surah, uh, Surah Al-A'raf and all that. So, you have to combine and scourge through all of, the, all of the Quran to find the complete version of the story. And therefore, the wisdom is that if you really want to find out anything Allah says, you cannot just open the book and look for it under topical chapters bec- but, you know, you will have to read the Quran exhaustively from beginning to the end to find out the answer. Mm. And it might be tiresome. but that explains why Muslims all over the world, mm. even though they do not know Arabic, uh, compete at least reading the Quran a few times in his or her lifetime, inshallah. Inshallah, Right? Yeah, and I'll then for the Muslims... Yeah. Sorry.
0: Um... I mean, regarding themes, right? Is it arranged in the sense like, I mean, like Bakara, the calf? Mm-hmm. Um, so is everything in there purely about the calf? The calf. Uh, <laughs> or, or the, the Surah Al Maida, the table spread?
1: <laughs> For those asking me this question, you are revealing yourself. Revealing myself. <laughs> oh, that, that means I will never... finish reading Bakara. <laughs> <laughs> No, I can't you know, obviously, uh, you know, there is a theme and there is a name to it. Uh, the name is probably, in most cases, probably one of the themes because Al-Baqarah is such a large uh, 286 verses. So there's a large, lot of things that has been talked about there. Uh, and the, con- the the aspect of Al-Baqarah, the Haifa or the cow that is referred to as the title of the chapter is just one of the component of the stories within within the chapter. If, for example, the chapter is uh, short and, you know, Allah gives a name to it, uh, then it's, it's probably all there is to it in, in terms of its theme. right? But it's not restricted to just one theme. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I, 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 I know for the born Muslims, maybe Dr. Taufik, you know, when you were young, um, or maybe in the past generation, our parents are very uh, uh, dogmatic about going for mengaji class, right? Yes. Mangaji or what we call the Ikra class or Qur'an reading class. Yeah, very, very and, and sometimes <laughs> I noticed that uh, within the Malay community, some of them they don't go for religious classes at all. They all only just go for ikra class. And that's that's sufficient uh, when they were young, as at least to to some of the families that I have spoken to. Mm-hmm. Right, so there's this really much emphasis in it And this habit persists even in the adult age So sometimes the first thing somebody converts And, and then asks me, so it starts, what do I study? Should I learn to, to read the Quran in Arabic? I said, no Because studying the Quran in Arabic is not a fardu'ain, it's not a mas For a new Muslim, uh, a revert Or a Muslim who's coming back into the faith The first thing you must know is learn how to pray Inside it goes shahada. And then the next thing, Ramadan, fast, zakat. And then, you know, of course, uh, you know, hajj is much, much later. Even if you want to go tomorrow next year, you can't because there's a queue, a lot, a super long queue. I don't think after a certain age, you'll be able even to go for hajj anymore. So anyway, uh, so, yeah. So, so, but that does not mean that you don't stop reading the Quran. Right. Just because you, you know, you don't know to read in Arabic, you must still read it, understand it from page one to the end, in English or with whichever language that you are familiar with. Example, Iskanda might read it in Dutch. Uh Ruisi, if she's here, she'll probably read it in French because she's, you know, she's in Canada. Canada. Right? Uh, you and I probably most of us would read it in uh, in in English. Some of us who read in Mandarin, in Tagalog, or whatever language that you're familiar with to understand the message of the Quran. Uh, hmm.
3: But there's some issue regarding reading in English because the translation will be much more different, to
1: be honest. Right. So when I say reading yeah. in... I didn't say read in read in English uh, to replace reading it in Arabic. Right? So what I'm saying is uh, because learning in another language is really, is really tough unless you have the gap of the tongue and you you know, linguistically, uh, you know, amazing, like 0.001% of the whole, you know, uh, population. But for most of us, uh, you know, it can become demoralizing because after a while, it gets very hard. Like even for me, when I was beginning to learn Arabic, I went to like, I don't know, like, 10 Arabic classes, and then they start to all this grammar and tense. It's like, oh my God, I can't do this. I quit. I join another one. I quit. I join another one. I quit. I join another one. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so after all, it becomes like moving in circles and not going anywhere. Right. So, when I mean reading in English, would be that trying to understand the message. Right. And there are many translations out there. Uh, sometimes it's useful to read different messages different translations to see roughly a combination of all these different translations, what is the general essence of the message that the Quran of that verse is trying to send to me? Mm-hmm. Okay, that is of course reading on your own, but of course you should not read the Quran on your own. You should go to classes and study. And so the Ustas will be able to guide you. And you know, one of the most effective ways of, I think, of learning Arabic would also be to read the Quran in Arabic and then read the English uh, together. Eventually you start to see that some words keep repeating itself. You kind of memorize uh, the vocab. And then as the vocab expands, and then you can just uh, try to construct sentences and you know, you, you don't be shy, just use it. And then you know, if you speak to someone who knows about it, he will correct you your grammar. And as you move along, over time, that's how you improve in the language.
0: Okay. I've got okay. a few questions for you. Uh, yes. Yeah. So
1: yeah. Okay.
0: Uh one is okay, there are people who say that, you know, uh they burned a few versions of the Quran. According to them, it's versions. Uh there was this in you know, the history where uh I believe there were different writings of how it came about with the Quran maybe some more commas or something so that's why they wanted to standardize it so it's easy to you know spread Islam and for people to memorize the Quran uh, maybe you can can shed some light in that area of mm-hmm. what happened at that time and why people you know burned the Quran of different I think is it Abu Bakr I'm not sure but at that time when he was compiling the Quran into writing right okay yeah they had to standardize something
1: okay so okay so i i want to put a big caveat yeah. uh these topics that we are covering today number one even for one hour discussion is a bit uh heavy heavy <laughs> right okay for those in the know, know like, okay this combination is quite lethal is heavy just like the one we did on jihad apostasy or those are heavy topics put together so that's number one number two uh Teaching this at an academic level uh, would take more than one semester, actually, of studying because there's a lot of things to cover. So, so I I, I thought about it. uh, Actually, I was thinking about what to do just maybe today. And I was thinking, like, there's no way that I could cover all of those intricacies, the technical details um, that can also become quite um, laborious. So, I decided to approach this topic, uh, you know, on a general perspective to make it uh, easy for us to understand and for to make it easy for us to apply and you know so that we are inspired to learn a bit more about it, realizing that we don't know much about what what we are supposed to know since we were young or since we become Muslims. Okay?
3: I, I guess so for, oh sorry, uh, I think hmm. for us like newly revert or uh, from any point of angle, let's say some Buddhist to uh, Muslim, Krishna to Muslim, we yeah. tend to have question that we are much more uh, curious about, we will ask questions sure. like, we're really trying to understand because most yeah. of the things that we asked in the previous time are always being wave-off. You know what I mean? It's like you try to ask a wave question out. but then the answer is not being answered to you. So okay. every religion to us, we always tend to have questions about, you know, belief, faith, you know, anything. about Yeah. That. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, so... So, to just sort of summarize uh, the, the process that um, Freda was asked earlier would be, uh, so, during the time of the Prophet, uh, the Prophet will, 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 you know, as he re- receives revelation, he will say it out. And, you know, at any point of time, the Prophet is never alone. He's always with his companions and there were, the were, were hundreds of them at any time when he's giving revelation. Uh, you know, a lecture or, you know, or, or a class. And then amongst this group of people, this, there, there are two categories of people that always there. Uh, not knowing when revelation is going to come, so they're always preparing themselves for it. Number one, uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier on, at that point of time, there weren't many people who knew how to read or write. Okay, The recorded number of people who knew how to read or write, in the next generation of the time of Sayyidina Umar, uh, Sayyidina Umar, a.s. There's only 17. So can you imagine in return the time, the Prophet wasalam, like, mm, it should be less 15 maybe? So these are the only number of people who knew of the right and write. So their job, whenever there was revelation, they would uh, scrap it down in whatever uh, uh, you know materials that they have. It could, it could be leaves, it could be parchment, it could be even wood and carving it out. And so they all keep pieces of it everywhere. Right then, there's another category of people that is always there also because they cannot read nor write, but they have a stronger ability in memorizing. Their task was whenever revelation was was uh, received, they memorize on the spot this revelation. So generally, to to cut this, uh, to simplify this, would be at the end of the day, the the prophet would meet all of them and would uh, confirm what they have written or confirm what they have memorized, and then correct or a did whatever it is, and then he will give the final version, this was what I said, this was what the revelation was about early on, and so the confirmed version is then kept. Okay, so over time, over the period of 23 years, these were being collected, and so um, there has been some discussions that uh, we know that Sayyidina Omar was the one who encouraged Sayyidina Abu during his caliphate ship, to compile the Quran, at first he refused, and you know, uh, but eventually he succumbed to it. Uh, there were there were uh, studies that also say that even during the time when the Prophet sallallahu I mean, there was loosely com- compiled by these companions, right? Um, so, Sana uh, Sana Abu Bakr then say, okay, let's compile this. Although at first he was resistant because the Prophet sallallahu never really compiled it into a book, and then appointed. Uh, uh, one of, his, one of uh, the companion to hate it. Um, and and then eventually when it comes to uh, uh, Saint Omar's time when everything has been compiled and completed, then it was kept in the safekeeping of uh, one of uh, the female companions. Do you know who that is? Female companions? Aisha, no. One of the wife of the Prophet. Hafsa. Oh. Said it in Hafsa. Into Omar, the daughter of St. Omar. Okay. Right. So, so she kept it, and then when it came to you know during the golden age of of Islam at that period where there were many expansions and the empire has expanded so much, so they were crossing borders with people of different race, different culture, different language, different styles, all different from the core of the Muslims in Medina. There and then there were uh, many who were martyred during the Battle of Yamama, and so. Uh, so many of the Hafiz those who memorized the Quran uh, started to perish and so that's why Abu Bakr decided okay yes we should compile and then when we reached the time of Senat Uthman there were reports that you know because of this culture and language and slangs accents and all that came into the picture that sometimes the Quran in other parts beyond the city center of Medina uh, became very strange they, they, sometimes the Arabs don't even understand what was being said. So, he came back to the Caliph and said, something needs to be done to standardize. right? So, Senna Uthman's job was then to retrieve this copy of the Quran and then standardize in the way that it is to be recited. And the clue was, if there's any doubt between how it is to be recited, we go back to the way in which the Quraysh tribe recite them because that's the original. That's where the Prophet sallam, came from. right? So, so, when all of this has been done, uh, all the other versions that, that was lying around in the empire was then was then burnt. So, that's, that was the reference that you were making. All right, so, the same copy has been made and made. So, over time, this copy has been improved. Uh, you know, at that time, you know, there weren't like, uh, how do I explain this, like dots, or they don't have like the Shadda, they don't have the... Uh, how do you say, the, the, the sign to go, to read up, to read down, R-E-U-B-I-B-I-B-U, that kind of thing. There was none of that because everybody knew Arabic and everybody memorized it. So, look, look, looking at the script and it's sort of like a short-form version, it's just sort of to um, juggle the memory that, oh, okay, this is what, this is what the verse is. Right? So, they kind of look at it and they kind of knew uh, because they were all committed to memory, most of it. But, you know, as civilizations, generations uh, come and go, They, you know, many people passed away, those who are Hufas and live like people like you and me now, uh, don't even know the language uh, to a large extent. And so we need assistance in the way the Quran is to be recited. So, the spelling, mm-hmm. the the, the signs of uh, read, to be read up, R, E, or U, or Ba, or B, or Bun, or whatever. And then, uh, the Shadda, the Sabdu, or the Tandamati, and, and all these rulings that we you, you will learn when you go for your Ikra class have been instituted over time gradually so that a guy in Singapore, thousands of miles away from Medina, will recite it based on this assistance of how to... And, uh, encaps- encapsulate uh, a certain uh, alphabet. Would read it exactly the same as an Arab who was born reading Arabic, mm. right? So, so the the version that you have. Uh, is the version that emanates uh first of all from the the keeping of Sayyidina Hafsa and uh Sena Uthman standardized it and then eventually in the history of the course of uh, Islamic uh, history it has been added in order to simplify, in order to make it easy, in order to standardize the way it is being recited. So that's sort of like a very short summary and overview of how the Quran has been uh you know has today. Yeah. And so that was got yeah, uh, and so just, just like you said that there's an extra comma or whatever so there are there have been instances in which uh sometimes maybe it's a printing copy or you know for whatever reason it is different from the way people memorize so there', there, there were some instances in which you know the uh, the guy was reading and the father corrected him and then he read the same mis- he read the same mistake three or four times then the father looked the Quran there was a bit of a mistake and and, and it's different from the, the thing the verse that he memorized, so they compare it to other memorization and compared to other printing of of the Quran, and when he realized that there was a printing error, that batch were recalled, and the best way to to get rid of it would be to burn it.
0: Okay. Um, okay. Sorry, I, I gave a heavy topic question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you uh, honestly, I'm kind of the gun. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Because honestly, um, I have a lot of people. Mm. Uh, who always bring this up about the Quran because mm-hmm. we always say that it's one version and it's the true words yeah. from Allah and yeah. there's no changes to it but then people always bring up especially people who are, you know orientalists or something <laughs> they they read the Quran and say oh there's so many things you actually burn there's not more than one version actually Um, and yeah. I mean now that you have
1: clarified it not everybody but I want to, I want to ex- explain one more thing usually uh-huh. most of these people who talk about it they are comparing the Quran with regards to translations mm. you know, I, I mean I mean I can't but literally I can if I want to just do another translation of the Quran and then publish it and and voila I'm done right uh-huh. but you know if you want to compare about the Quran you must always compare in this Arabic original uh, language. Okay. You know, if I stand at the khutbah and I give the Friday prayers, for example, I cannot just say, and Allah says in the Quran, O oh, you who believe, and then whatever, whatever, whatever. I must say, Allah says in the Quran, I must recite the Arabic. And that part of it cannot be wrong. If I recite it wrongly, and even though I'm an imam or a khatib of that of the prayer, you, if you know that it was wrong, you must correct me, even though it is, you know, it's a Friday prayer and I'm the Imam and you're just as Jama, Because the word of Allah cannot be changed, cannot be recited wrongly by anyone else. It must, be stand, it must be the right version. It must be right, the right one. And then, after reciting the Arabic, the Imam will always talk about, and this means, or translated, or to be understood as, for, for that, there is no standard way of understanding the Quran. Mm-hmm. Yusuf Ali have his own understanding of what this word means uh, Mohsin Khan another, another one Aburi is another one so different people have different understanding of it. just take the word Taqwa
3: mm-hmm. some uh, people aside, actually I have a question regarding the, yeah. uh, so you say that a lot of people remember the Quran right? so when they have to write down is there like when they have one, to what have, they have to write down in the like to okay make a book
4: yeah you know? compile it so
3: yeah is there anyone to really uh, check on it because you see human tends to make mistake okay no sure. doubt about it in yeah. terms of writing or sure. memory so yeah. my question is that of course we believe that Quran is the word of God and yeah. there won't be mistake yeah but you know over century printing company or whatsoever there will people be, be typing mistakes
1: Okay, yes, so, yes, d- yes, so yes. during the time of the Prophet Wasallam, he will be the one who always check when he was alive. At the end of the day, he will always check whatever versions they have and then he correct them. And then, okay, this is the official version, the rest are wrong because of, you know, whatever problems with it. Okay, so so that's that. And then, um you know, during the time of the Caliph and, and all that... Um, you know, by then, the written version has sort of like confirmed because there's actually a committee that compiled this and when they compile, it's not just like compiling it, but it's also to uh, uh, confirm the veracity of this uh, revelation. And the written is confirmed with other returns and then once they have confirmed the written version, they confirm it with, uh, you know, the people who memorize it and see whether it match. If it doesn't, then they go through another series of, of, of uh, scientific way of trying to, uh, you, know, add, you know, come up with what would be the right version. <clears throat> right? So, and then, we like, it, the, the way you ask me, we, we push forward this time period, and then, like, now. How do I know that my version of the Quran uh, and this version of the Quran is correct? So, again, uh, uh one of the things that we want to talk about today is how do we study the Quran, right? If we don't study the Quran in its Arabic nature and we just study in English, we will never know the difference because anybody can write anything, you know, and we can add another comma or another dot or whatever, right? But always, whatever version of the Quran, every batch, it goes through a very rigid uh, uh, test. Uh, the memorizers would confirm. Somebody would read from it and then it will be confirmed by a, a board you know, of people who are uh, must have a mastery over the Quran. So they, they check from the human factor, memory, and from the printing uh, factor, right? Even if it escaped that part and it managed to go out and being, being um, uh, published, uh, let's say I go to the mosque and I, while waiting for the azan, I read the Quran and, you know, I won't say that I memorized all of it, but all of us, whether you are new to the faith or, you know, you're old-born Muslim, you would have memorized a, a respectable amount of verses by the end of your life. Now, so you would sit there and you you open the verse and you, you open it, wait, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. And then you will go on to check to check with an ustaz, for example, who probably know Arabic and say, yeah, this is not right. And then he will make a report. And then, you know, so that that publication would be recalled. Okay. In a sense, so so so. Since we talk a lot about this, let me just ask the panel, you know, because I said earlier on that Allah mentioned in Surah Al Hijr that He protects the Quran, right? Can I then ask you roughly how do you think this is being manifested? How is the Quran being protected? In a sense, yeah, okay, I think it. it's
2: like Bitcoins. Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, what yeah, because because every transaction of every Bitcoin or every cryptocurrency ever made mm-hmm. is like stored in a separate server, right? Or a yeah. separate node. And every <laughs> every half of it, it is like one of those nodes. So if someone okay. makes a mistake, then other people, you know, they... Point it out. Yeah, right. Mm. Protect it, right.
1: So... Uh... How do I un- how do I summarize that Bitcoin? Uh, I have no uh, idea what Bitcoin is. <laughs>
4: oh, okay. <laughs>
1: okay, uh, can I help
0: with this? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I have a simple way. I think, yeah. um, because okay, Arabs at that time were trans- basically they passing down tradition by oral tradition. Basically, yeah. with what they say, people who listen memorize it and they repeat after. So, actually, uh, that's was- tradition
1: of Islam. Oral tradition.
0: Our tradition, mm-hmm. right? So it's a recital, like the Quran, you say it's a recital. So when people recited it, people memorize it and they repeat word for word. Let's say you sing a, B, C, D, Okay, a, I simplify
1: C. this answer for you. So number one, <laughs> it is protected by the Hufas, those who memorize the Quran. And you notice that in, in all these processes that we talk about, there's always a confirmation by the people who memorize it over the machines, right? So number one. But you also can play a role. What would that be? What would it be? What? A role? Yeah, you you and me are playing a role in it. So when you yeah, play with when, you know
0: we, 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 when we pray, we memorize certain surahs, right? So
1: Right. So uh, you okay. play that role in your prayers. Yeah. Right? Okay, what else? Number three.
0: Uh we have Hafiz, people who memorize from cover to cover.
1: Uh, that's why I said the hufas or the hafiz. Yeah, yeah you oh, know. Yeah. Hafiz, in you know, prayers. I gave you the example of the khutbah, even i you know, you have to see speak in Arabic. Number three, what happens to the Bible, for example? What would be one of the criticisms of the Bible ha- having no original?
2: It's uh, not in
1: the original language. Not in the original language. So, the Arabic language is preserved. Right? So that if there's any reference or any clarification that you wanted to make out of the meaning of the Quran, you know that there are thousands and thousands of people who speak that language. And you can make a reference to that. Uh, Bible like, is What? What?
3: Bible is from Hebrew, isn't?
2: No, it's not. Not Aramaic. Aramaic. Yeah. And no, no one speaks that anymore. And the oldest version is in Koine Greek. So, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: The one that you
1: can find, and those are translations of translations. The one that you have is translation of those languages. So there is the human factor that's involved in the translation. I see. Right.
0: Lost in translation. Hell of that face. (laughs) Things can get lost in translation.
1: so, so what else? And then, and I'll give you another simple one. There will be like your Islamic teachers who teaches you, and once in a while, in in this one hour, maybe pepper through this this talk would be like four or five verses of the Quran. So that's sort of like preserved. The one, one last one, very important. What's the difference between the Quran and the Bible? What does the Quran has that the Bible doesn't have? Um, Apart from the language,
0: the Bible has testimonies. Quran don't have. Means it's not a a human, human, uh, like you know, inspired. Like they're using their own intellect to write out these things.
1: Not really what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is that you cannot find the original Bible to go back to make reference to it. But can you find the original Quran?
2: Mm, Yeah. They recently found a very old one in, or a few pages in England, right? Uh, Where?
3: the bible
2: yeah yeah they did. no no the quran not not the bible the bible also have like, the, <laughs> oh okay no the
3: bible also have i remember like there is like
1: uh, cap. Kept... which gospel yeah. are you referring to
3: i think the whole yeah. Testimony.
1: Yeah. testimony yeah so the you, testimony. it would not be four gospels that constitutes yeah. the new testament right yeah
2: Yeah. but do you mean the so, dead sea scrolls
1: uh, i don't so, know. so, so yeah the, those are not the canonical for compilation. So, let me just ask you, where can you find this original Quran?
2: I give you a clue. In the hearts of the people. Okay, okay, that's (laughs) (laughs) go.
1: I mean, I'm talking about country. Uh, Saudi Arabia. No. No? Masada but in. but you know, interestingly, if you go to any country, even you go to like Asian Civilization Museum in Singapore, you find various copies of the Quran dating back to the 18th century, you know. Uh, you know, uh, during that period. But anyway, we're talking about the original. I give you There's the, two copies. Number one is in the Top Copy Museum in Istanbul,
4: mm.
1: the other one is in Tashkent, Uzbekistan. I, I I I I personally saw. The version uh, on scrolls, uh, I think, deer skin or something, uh, yeah. and it was claimed that there, there was a mark, and that was the blood of Saint Omar. Yes, you know. Okay. So anyway, uh, so the, the point is, if you want to go back to a reference point, that is the original copy in Islam, and it's very important.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. Uh, let's go on to the next part. <laughs> I want to give you the first. Okay, that's okay.
1: <laughs> because we talk the about word. the Quran and the Quran is what language? Is in what language? Arabic. Arabic. Okay. So, the to show of... another unique point, let me test you, okay? First, mm. let me confirm a few things. Number one, all of you are English native speakers? Almost. Right. Really? Uh, anyone speak Mandarin, Cantonese, or Hokkien? Sometimes. Okay, good. I speak Malay. Uh, do, uh, Iskandar, do you speak Dutch? Yes. Okay, if we see here, she will speak French. Uh, Dr. Taufik, what else you can you speak? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Malay-English.
1: <laughs> Malay-English, okay. Uh, Amir? Okay, you you uh, saying dialects? dialect, Malay- right? Okay. A bit of Malay. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. okay <laughs> <I> boleh cakap <laughs> Melayu, sikit. <Okay>. Cakap <laughs> <Malayu>. <laughs> <Fredos>. <laughs> Hey, you, born, you you convert to Malay, are you, Amir? <laughs> <laughs> I'll <laughs> be very angry with you. <laughs> Malaysian, ma. Oh, your mother is Malaysian. Okay, then okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. you so can was... English can a bit speak
0: Malay. So, English and a bit of Chinese.
1: English and a bit of Chinese. Okay, so, uh, you know, I can confirm that all of you can recite English fluently more than any other language, right?
4: Yeah. Does
1: anyone yeah. of you know Arabic at all? I mean, like. How to speak? No. Do you do you speak Arabic? Any one of you? No. We
2: need
1: a prayer. La. <laughs> need a prayer. Okay. So this text and I will to also like go through this, huh? Now, since English is your most powerful language that you possess, and none of you can speak Arabic, and that would include like most of us. Now, okay, Fidao's first, lah, yeah. okay? Maybe just Fidaos. Yes. Okay, <laughs> I want you to, to do this. Ready? Yeah be (laughs) excited yes 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 Habibi yes Habibi okay I want you by the count of three recite the most common surah surah al-fatiha in English one two three go oh no in English in English English, is it in English yes in the
0: name of Allah the most gracious the most merciful okay Uh, Uh, all praises be to Allah the law of the world uh uh,
4: wait 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 wait
5: wait! I'm uh, coming. Just give me give me a, <laughs> a bit more time. Master, yeah, a A point. Okay, okay.
1: But, he's making a point. <laughs> yeah, I'm making a point.
5: So
4: so, oh, making a, a point.
1: Recite Mateha in Arabic, a language which you don't know. How are you going to recite? One, two, that. three, go.
0: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim.
1: Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Okay, okay, good. You even recite with a tune.
4: Yeah,
1: <laughs> right. Just now you like uh, uh uh and you speak English all the time. So what does it show?
0: It shows it's easier to memorize with sound.
4: <laughs> no. It shows a lot. Of shows the miracle of it. Okay, I'm, I'm just yeah, there's a miracle
1: perfect. in the language. Yeah, that even if you don't like, understand yeah. it, you can recite and memorize it easier than the language in which you have absolute mastery in. Yes. Right. So this is this is like missing. I
3: guess it's a because. Uh, the original content is in Arabic, so we has been learning Arabic. So, it's much yeah. But usually, at
1: some point in time, you would want to know what it means, right? So you would learn the English version. Yes. Right. But to to give it off as a first instance is is difficult. You have to think a lot more. I, I I okay. In English, maybe I'm familiar with. But if you ask me to do it in Malay, I totally cannot.
4: <laughs>
1: like oh my god, <laughs> even think in Malay and then like how, <laughs> you know. Okay, so right, we okay, can move on to the next topic. I mean, to the next what question? <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. Anyway, guys, you know we're talking about Quran, right? There's going to be yeah. in the following weeks, in the future, there'll be more on the Quran, like the miracles of the Quran and all that. So you know, don't don't worry, they will be covered in time, just not
1: yet. <laughs> okay. So important, I will ask the question for you because I don't need to miss this. How do you study the Quran properly? Wouldn't it be something that is uh, useful? I I mean, you can argue and discuss all this intellectual stuff and all that, but what do you bring home? So for me, I want to ask this question because essentially there are two ways in which we we study the Quran. Okay. Okay, number one is through reciting it. Important as we should recite it in its original form as a protection to its authenticity to preserve this. However, too much emphasis maybe has been placed upon those when we were young three laments now while we are able to read the Quran, we finished it a couple of times but we don't know what it means, so it doesn't matter, right? So over time, because we do not know what it means, our motivation to engage with the Quran will diminish, na'udzubillah, okay? So it must be a balance, so number one is through recitation, you need to do it in Arabic at some point, okay? But number two, while you're doing it, this, this must always be an ongoing process, uh, to learn it, you must understand its meaning and you must apply it to your lives. And this is a challenging part. You cannot just rely on the translations that you can find online or in different versions. There are many understandings to one particular verse that you need to go for a class under someone who is able to share with you, number one, the specific nuance of the Arabic language. Okay, and then to highlight to you the history of, of its the way the verses are being ordered. So, for example, I give you a very famous verse in Suratul Baqarah, verse 153, which Allah says, ya wassalat which means, ya "Oh, you who believe, seek help with patience and prayer, for Allah is with those who are patient. And this is verse 153. Right? So, if you read without realizing the importance of placements and the nuances of the Quran, you just, say, oh, okay, uh, you know. But when Allah says it's time to be sabri or salah. That means patience first before prayer. Because if you have no patience, you will not pray. Because you pray hundred times so, you, you know, if you have no patience, you're going to give it up. And then you give up both. Uh,
3: yeah, I can understand what you mean by that. Sometimes when we get angry or what, and then we our mind is on a lot of things, it's a bit hard sure. to focus on prayer. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, so you must cool down first. You must understand what you're going through and then you can ask for prayers, right? Uh, Number three, someone who can lead you in the cross-referencing of a variety of hadith that relates or explains that particular verse to be able to be put into practice, right? Because essentially, um, you know, for example, the Quran talks about these are the times that you pray, but the Quran never talk about how you pray. So you must be able to, or the teacher must be able to understand, for this verse, these are the instructions of how to execute it. And so the Prophet says, pray as you see me pray. And then he prays in all the different ways in which he pray. And then that sort of like corroborates the way in which the Quran says, you must pray five times a day. Okay. Uh, but the next one is important. The history and context of revelation. Uh. Right, uh, And I give this, uh, since today is an all-boys club, <laughs> I'm going to give this example. In Shatun Nisa, chapter f- 4, verse 3, Allah says, And if you fear that you will not deal justly with the orphan girls, then marry those that pleases you of women. Marry masna wa Thulatha wa That means marry two or three or four. Or not N. Because there's some smart <clears throat> smart people who say marry one plus two plus three plus four. Can marry ten. <laughs> I, no, I am mean, not kidding. There, there is someone in Singapore at least, but he was caught and all that. Less. okay, anyway, that's 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 one of it. So <laughs> the word you're thalatha Okay, but if you meet anyone who wants to marry more than one. Uh, maybe Dr. topic also will have met somebody of our generation like okay I want to marry more than one why because Allah encouraged it why because it's a sunnah of the Prophet <laughs> is a sunnah very smart Yeah. and but don't know how to pray don't know how to read the Quran cannot talk to the children cannot teach the children right so and very smart they will just talk about yeah in the surah chapter 4 verse 3 Allah says you can marry 2, 3 or 4 so that's why I'm doing it but if you look at the verse carefully, the verse did not end there. For in provided, but if you cannot be just and then Allah says marry just one or aw ma malakat aymanukum. Or marry those that your hands possess. So what that means, we're gonna talk about someday. But when you talk about history and context, is this? So, by this verse, Allah limits the marrying, the marrying to to four, right? Now, uh, let me ask you: During the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the nobles, the rich people, how many were they marrying? Marrying how many? Mm, In hundreds, married. I think. In hundreds, they would. People, <laughs> they, I have no idea how they do it. They marry. They would have hundred wives. How? how do you I just <laughs> the question is how do you and then you fill in the blanks. Everything is how how how. I don't know. The time, the energy, the the money, the how. <laughs> you know. So essentially, what what I think I can conclude is none of them were treated fairly. Some obviously more than the other, right? So. So, no one, none of the critics of the Prophet, none of the enemy of Islam ever criticizes the fact that the Prophet married four. Um, You know, at any one time, not more than four. The only people who criticize them are people who are now, in this time, know literally nothing about Islam, know nothing about the conditions of the people at that time, and just said, by the context of modern time, and said, married four. Polygamous. No. Look at the kind of wives that he married. It's not the kind of marriage that you and I engage in. Beauty, sexy, you know, uh, rich or whatever. These were never the considerations. In fact, the Prophet married, the wives of the Prophet were direct opposite some of them to, to this. So, so, there were other things, but this is for another topic but my point is yeah. Allah says you can marry two, three or four but only if you can be just however men cannot be just. Therefore, Mary. Three hours, marry how many? One,
0: one, 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 one.
1: One, okay. Is your Why wife you look be- at me and say <laughs> that? I always want one. I, I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> Anyhow, nonsense, you know. And quote this one. Okay, so the context is important. Because at okay. that time, you were marrying by the hundreds. Right, so then there's another... Okay, I want to mention another example. Uh, and, and this, again, in Surah Nisa, verse 34. Allah says, Men are in charge of women. So what they do, if you don't obey me, I beat you. Huh? Right? I mean, you know, and, and, and this, uh, you know, I used to work in Sharia and I, I, I hear this kind of excuse all the time. Misunderstanding this verse leads to domestic and family violence. Surely... For this kind of privilege, there are heavy responsibilities imposed upon the husband. For example, before all of this, did you give good, regular monthly maintenance? Do you provide love and affection? Do you provide leadership or imamship at home? Do you take care of their mental uh, health? Do you show and teach obedience by example? Do you provide some form of luxury that she can, you know, uh, live and be proud of? For example, yeah, because in Surah Tahrim, Allah says, "Let him who possesses plenty." Spend of his plenty. Saying, right? Verse 7 of Surah tahrim So, this is another important aspect when you learn the Quran. You must find a teacher who can do this cross-referencing for you. So, it is a very disciplined and a very dense uh, wealth of knowledge to uncover the meaning of the Quran. Uh, like I said, unfortunately, many classes out there focus too much on the easy and direct literal translation or they lack resources depth in deep enough to cross-refer. Okay, so in view of this, and this also applies to the next topic, which is hadith, uh, you should not literally plug a verse of the Quran or pluck a, a hadith and then say, uh, this is the position in Islam, I'm right and you're wrong. You know what I mean? And this is important because some people know more than you because they've studied a little bit more.
2: Hmm. Okay. So it's interesting because if I just cherry pick things that I like or don't yeah. like, I can basically make my own version of Islam. You can make your own version, yeah. and and yeah. I'm correct. For example, with um, yeah, how many wives? I can just say, oh, I follow the example of uh, Prophet uh, Sulaiman. I married two hundred wives. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, it's interesting. So you, I, do you recommend your I mean, no, wives should agree to marry you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, uh, the other problem, right? But yeah. um, so you recommend we actually look for classes or we look for teachers or... Um...
1: So first of all, on, at your own accord, you must start reading it on your own. And then you must go for classes where the teacher uh, is able to, uh, number one, cross suffer for you with the hadith. Uh, you know? so, so the thing is, the Quran is the perfect book, sent by the most perfect one. So in most situations, the Quran explains itself in another verse. And where does the hadith comes in? And that's why we need to talk about hadith later on because it's, it's equally important. The hadith then gives you the details of how that verse or that principle in the Quran uh, should be carried out in a manner in which the Prophet uh, has exemplified through, through the hadith or the sunnah. Right? So uh, this cross referencing is important. But the third most important thing, I think, especially for your for our generation, would be to be able to have someone who's able to contextualize those religious contexts of a different time and, and space to a time now that you are facing. So that this Islamic knowledge is not a knowledge that is re- that resides only in the classroom, but is lost totally when you step out of the door. This is the real challenge. Right?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Next question. Okay, Okay. Uh, there's a lot more to ask about Quran, of course. Uh, yeah, I feel that...
1: Issue we can just stick on Quran the whole day and you know, and you will have <laughs> yeah, time. Of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: So, uh, now hadith, right? Talking about okay, like hadith. hadith. Okay. Yeah, I understand there are six canonical but there are more than six, right? Uh, yes. Hadiths. How do we just, justify what is authentic what is not? How do they come with this? You know? Yeah, maybe. Uh, like for that,
1: you to be able to justify this or not, then you wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: you can decide for your are but I want
1: to do you know, so so, what does hadith mean? Uh, hadith, yeah, what does
0: it mean? Mm, what does it mean? <laughs> uh, it means what? The practice and sayings of our dear Prophet Muhammad Okay, that's not
1: that's not just it. Okay, so hadith comes from the word hadatha, which means to happen and to report. So that's why it's the transmission, report or transmission of the Prophet. And it's divided into three parts. Okay, number one, his speech. And usually in the common parlance, people will say the speech is the hadith which uh, is right but not completely right as well but yeah okay it's fine number two his actions and this usually people call the sunnah but it's not the sunnah per se it's just one third of what the sunnah is so what he say for example he said, uh you know do not be angry so that's the hadith uh, his actions would be you know looking at how he prays, for example, where does he put his hand? Where does he look when he, when he prays? And then there's a third part that uh, you forgot and most people forget would be his affirmation or his approvals, uh, what we call takrir. Okay, it implies that someone did something in front of the Prophet, he observed it, but he did not condemn it or he did not reject it. Because he didn't do anything, he was passive about it, it means that that action is permissible. There are not many examples, but I can give you one at the top of my head. One day, he came back from home, uh, from you know, he came back home and then he saw Sadatina Aisha. I remember she was very young um, and saw her playing with dolls. Right? And and then you have all these Muslims saying, you "No, know, doll is haram. If you have doll, then the angels will not come to your house. There, I mean, there is that hadith. But then there is this direct affirmation as a constituent of a hadith, which is the Prophet saw it. He smiled and then he just walked away. He didn't ask her to stop. So that belongs uh, under the category of hadith. Okay. Okay? So um, there are uh, collected traditions, and and you rightly pointed out. uh, For the Sunni Muslim, we have six canonical uh, books of hadith that we refer to, and 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 out of the six, two are Sahih, four are Sunan. That means it's a mix of Sahih and, uh, you know, Hassan. Right. So for Sahih, are what? Number one? Muslim. Muslim. Sahih Muslim and Sahih Bu? Bukhari. 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 So these two are Sahih. That means all the collections in, in the book are all Sahih. Uh, completely authenticated versions. And then we have the other four which are Sunan Ibn Majah, Sunan An-Nisa'i, Sunan Etramizi and Sunan Abu Dawud. Collectively, this com- this compilation of hadith, six canonical, uh, comes only second to the authority of the Quran. But it's not as easy as that. Okay, what is contained in hadith? Okay, can anyone recite to me any, any hadith? Cannot memorize it. Uh, but Cannot, I think... One you didn't memorize. Even if you memorize, you, you probably say uh, the Prophet said ABCD. That's it, right? Yeah. So, the yeah, students yeah. of hadith would know that there are two parts to this. Number one is the isnad, the, isnad is will be the chain of narrators. And when they study hadith, they not only study the, the content, they study who narrates this all the way, if they were, they were 40, all the 40 uh, mm-hmm. characteristics and the quality of these narrators, all the way leading to the Prophet wow. And then you have uh, what we call the matan, the content. The content will be, pray as you see me pray. The istan will be narrated from uh, Abu Huraira, who narrated from maybe bin Malik, from so and so and so and so and so. This is the istan. So these are the two components of hadith. Okay, there are many technical things that we can talk about, but let's do an overview first. Okay, so there are two categories of hadith. I'm just going to go quickly because you know it can get quite technical. Uh, we have the hadith of the Prophet, and we have another kind of hadith. What, what is it? Hadith could see. Si. Could see. Right. And a hadith Qudsi hadith, hadith refers to hadith of Prophet Muhammad in which the meaning is revealed by God but the phrasing is formulated by the Prophet. Unlike the other hadith, the chain of transmission is traced back directly to Allah for hadith Qudsi instead of to the Prophet for the other hadith. In contrast to the Quran, which is considered divine revelation in both meaning and wording, the authenticity of the hadith Qudsi of the Hadith Qudsi or the Hadith varies from one narration to another. Okay. The difference between the Quran and the Hadith Qudsi is that. So, we have Hadith, Hadith Qudsi, Quran. And the difference between Quran and Hadith Qudsi is that the wording and the meaning in the Quran are from Allah through revelation. Okay. Hadith Qudsi, however, the wording is from the Prophet but the meaning is from Allah through ilham or inspiration. A student of hadith studies the mutton or the Isnad. When I say a series of persons in the chain, like I said just now, we we're talking about all the series of narrators. So for you and me, it's very easy. We study hadith even in the book that we buy, you know, 40 hadith, for example. You just said, uh, Abu Huraira or Anas Malik reported the prophet to have said, Pap, and then the hadith starts. So, so you understand how a shortcut of a super shortcut we, st- we study? Right. Yeah. Um, so all okay. So now we talk about categories, uh, and this is quite important too, because all accepted hadith generally are in three categories. Number one is sahih, meaning their sound; those with a reliable and uninterrupted chain of transmission, and matan does not the content does not contradict uh, orthodox belief. Okay. Number two, hasan, uh, which means good. So, not sound but good, second category. Maybe due to incomplete uh, sanad, narrators or transmission of some degree of questionable uh, authority. And then the last, which is the worst, would be a ta'if or weak hadith. Whose, whose content or the narrators subject to some serious criticism. And then to make it a bit more complicating the Isnad or the chain of narrators are further evaluated according to uh, completeness of their chain so they may be unbroken and reliable all the way back to the prophet and it's called Musnad. yet very short it's called ali implying less likelihood of error or they may lack one authority in the chain of transmitters or may be missing two or more transmitters mukdaul or may have an obscure authority referred to simply as generally a man mubam Okay, so uh, it's getting complicated, right? So all we yeah. know is Asahi, uh, Hassan, Naif, that's all. <laughs> right? And then we have this contact called Mutawatir, right? Uh, how many people uh, you know, narrate this, uh, indicating a long and sound history. Or hadith may be quoted by three different people, it's called Mashhur, or by one Ahad. So the question is, to simplify all of this, so what do we do? Which hadith do we follow? Of course, the price is... Why not So, the first one is because sahih. Lah, uh, because of the authenticity is not questioned. Right? However, you must also cross-suffer it with uh, within the sahih uh, of the conclusiveness of any position and to know the context of that particular hadith in regards to the other context of a similar hadith of a similar subject or topic. Then the second will be Hassan. And then, uh, what if, okay, let me ask you, what if you find a hadith that is not even Hassan? Like, not Sahih, not Hassan. What do you do? You reject uh, it? That's a KIV. Uh. KIV. Okay, but if there's no other narration, at the moment, I can't think of anyone right now, but there's no other narration on this point except this hadith, but it's not Sahih, nor Hassan. Hmm. Then, leave it alone first. Huh? No, but you have to have a solution to your current problem. Hmm, ask okay. Ustaz lah. As an Ustaz. Ustaz. But Ustaz is overseas, cannot so contact. You don't have your number.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, generally, scholars have argued or concluded that if the hadith is not sahih or hasan, but, uh, you know, it encourages you to perform good deeds. ...or increase in your ibadah. Then you can follow that. Even though it is not sahih or hasan. Okay? Okay, what if... Let's say you are very industrious... ...and you want to find this issue... ...and you look through all the six canonical hadith... ...cannot find. Do you just say, oh sorry... ...Islam don't know what the answer to this one? i give you an example. Uh, okay, it's a stupid example... ...but you know, it's an example that applies. Can Muslims study your religion through computer or Zoom classes like this. (coughs) (laughs) Find me a dalil. Find me a justification in the hadith. (laughs) I give you 10
4: years.
1: (laughs) You cannot find, right? So, so what I'm saying is there uh, there are almost hundreds of other collections uh, for your reference. Just because you cannot find the Quran and then you cannot find the six canonical doesn't mean you should stop there. And doesn't mean that whatever you conclude is right and others are wrong. Because they may have the information that you don't have. You know, there, there, there are hundreds, right? Like I said, other collection. Some of the popular one includes the Muwatta of Imam Malik. One of the head of the uh, Maliki Madhab. Uh, Kitabul Athar, Sunan Ad-Darimi, Mustan Ahmad Mihambal. Another uh, head of a Madhab that we're going to talk about later. Sahih Ibn Qudzaimah. Sahih ibn Hibban Al-Mustadraq of uh, Imam Al-Hakim there are many uh, collections that even you are not aware of I, I also don't know all of them like seriously let me ask who have finished all of Al-Bukhari I haven't uh. confirm I haven't confirm can I? yeah so if you cannot find you cannot you cannot conclude it number one number two you cannot say that you're right because there's all these other collections that uh, you know uh, not exhaustive lah. okay so then the important question, instead of you asking me, I'm asking you, how do we learn hadith? <laughs> uh, how would you learn hadith? I just
2: go to school. I go to school.
1: Like, I like, I just know, like the Quran, how, do you, how, would you, how would you look at it? Read read it. it. Yeah, read it. Google? Yeah, sheikh Google. Sheikh <laughs> Google, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> First, read a book alone or Google is not enough. You need to find a teacher who's able to explain and contextualize the hadith to your current condition. Then you find relevance of what you've learned of the hadith of the Prophet. Okay, so the easy one would be, uh, common in the market would be what we call the hadith al-ba'in, the 40 hadith. And there are many scholars who have compiled 40 hadith. Out of the gamut of thousands and thousands of hadith, they reduce it to 40. Because, for example, Imam An-Nawawi, the most famous one in this region, his collection, he says in the introduction of for his book, he compiled this, to provide a compres- comprehensive learning of the prophetic hadith, who those who don't have time within a, a syllabus, uh, he does it as a summary of all the hadith that he finds to be useful, and this will be the one that is you know you can you can depend on uh, for this world and in the hereafter. Uh, uh, and this forty is just sort a tip of like the iceberg of the voluminous resources uh, of hadith available out there, so we don't we don't get too inundated. With the with the with the volume and then become dismotivated as a result of that. Right? So when you study hadith, don't look at it just merely from the text of a religious worldview. Apply them, extend the application to the context of your time. If you cannot, ask your ustads to guide you on how to make the link between these two contexts together. Otherwise, your information will not be practicable okay okay make sure that when you study hadith you cross-refer with the quran because the hadith cannot contradict the quran in fact hadith are explanations or the details (coughs) of the quranic concept (coughs) okay and then additionally make sure that the teacher cross-refer the hadith with other hadith for the meaning to make sense importantly hadith are always practical Make sure, for example, if you study about controlling your anger for that week, you apply it practically to your life, can control your anger. That's how you enliven the hadith. But I have one big gripe, very big gripe. And this is, do not, do not be afraid to ask hard and tough questions. Like me. It, <laughs> like me. No, I didn't say that. I just stopped. Hard question. Because in my experience of teaching both at the university level and at the halakha, you know, common uh, level, I feel it is quite disappointing um, as Muslim students, you know, they ask critical questions in lectures and tutorials in school. They really challenge concepts until it's embedded clearly in their mind. So this is what it means, right? But the very same undergraduate or even graduate students, who are brilliant in 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 school always shy away to ask their religious teacher hard and tough questions why it's not a sin to ask ask them challenge the idea and their explanation make your teacher sweat a bit. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm serious. And that's the only way that you can learn and you can be convinced of the content. Otherwise, like, whatever we start say, okay, 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 okay. You know, as a teacher, I, I, I get bored. You know, because sometimes I'm like, no question, really? Yeah. This, this is the question you ask, you know? So, I welcome it. I care for it. Do you know how boring it is to teach when the student just immediately say, yes, yes, yes. Any question? No. Understand? Yes. Tapi don't know what you understand. Correct, another under topic. I mean, we see this all the time in the classes. Yes, yes. Correct, correct. I'm also guilty. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just want you to apply the same standard of rigor you have at the university as when you're learning Islam. Because that is, that is actually what's required of you. Okay, like I said, make your teacher sweat a bit. Ask proactively, but ask politely. That's the important thing. Okay, so yeah.
0: So, have I been polite? My question,
1: <laughs> I
5: think maybe can I add on? Maybe because sure. sometimes, maybe for me, lah, I'm just talking about myself. Lah, maybe
1: mm-hmm. sometimes I don't know what to ask. You, sh- you just ask whatever question because sometimes when you ask, then you realize that, oh, actually, I don't know this. Oh, actually, mm-hmm. this is something that you know, you know, should be asked. Because some, I mean, you come to class, so the thing is this <clears throat> maybe, lah, maybe, you know, in the last century you go to class and as a teacher, you're the smartest guy in the, in the room. Lah. Mm. But nowadays, when you go to class, that must not and that cannot be the assumption.
4: Mm.
1: Right? So, even though what I'm telling you today are very like simple, general concepts, but however, my job is because I assume that my audience knows something, know the basic, then my job is try to link it or maybe try to make it practical or, or contextualize it. That's the job of this guy sitting here. If I don't do that, then I'm, I'm useless. <clears throat> you don't have to come to my class. But this is what's happening a lot. <laughs> right? So you so you must then, you cannot allow this to happen. You must ask the question.
5: I think also nowadays the challenge is uh, there's so much information. Right, You have information from YouTube, which, you know, all these amazing video. And smart highlights. Yes. And social media from don't know who. And then sometimes we forget who can we
1: trust, who can we ask. So that's why Uh, when you come and see a teacher, okay, so I've heard this, I've seen this, Uh, so so what am I supposed to do with this? Right? And so then the teacher will give you an opinion and and then ask, why should I listen to you now? You're just one of the, another point of view. Right? And then he will have to justify. And that's why he's supposed to graduate from wherever you graduate, you know, otherwise then become a doctor like you. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) So you play a part in, uh, uh, in ensuring that you get quality education. Okay. All right. So that's why this kind of discussion is good because I have no idea what you're going to ask me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, but you know, you are clarifying what's, what's the confusion that you have in your mind. And at least hopefully at the end of it, it clears up. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and I think, uh, I don't know, when I was young, maybe, uh, this this is the attitude, lah. I don't know whether Dr. Tafik can, can validate this. Sometimes when you want to ask, when you want to ask question to the Ustad, we feel like, maybe it's a sin to ask this question. <laughs> right? So we yeah. don't ask, are oh, right.
5: right. <laughs> It's the not a sin to ask. We, were, we were raised to, you know, not question too much, just accept, accept. Just yes, accept.
1: Okay, can I say something? <laughs> okay, I, I promise this actually happened. So, so when I was younger in madrasa so the Ustaz was saying, okay, for Muslims, we need to pray five times a day. Right? So, mm-hmm. okay, cool. And I was from RI, <clears throat>, so a bit smarter lah. So I asked, uh, Ustaz, so what? <laughs> I'm just, I'm not flexing. I'm just like, you know, telling you. <laughs> Ustaz, um, why five? Why not six? 10? Why not hundred? Like, to me it's an innocent question why not right mm. <laughs> and you know what's the answer because lah it's already no.
4: said no. because it's
1: good enough i got a slap on my face in, in in english it's so rude to ask way, this question yeah. i was wow. like what and then when i go home i tell my parents uh the teacher just slapped me because i asked this question then can of scolding again <laughs> so imagine a, a boy like me the next week i go to class do you think i will ask any question i can't be bothered what you're talking about lah you know so hopefully it doesn't happen anymore <clears throat> Inshallah. Right? and you all or the viewers out there you know the same you, know, you hold the responsibility to get quality information you know from wherever you learn. okay enough <laughs> okay um
0: yeah so I mean now coming yeah, there's a lot of so at, at
1: 123 this. do you think we should Kib Mazhab and then get questions. Yes, maybe, <laughs>
4: may,
0: yeah, maybe just a brief. Only, like we we'll go Mazhab on another day. But
5: just like a, maybe um, maybe I, can
1: I just ask one question about Hadis? Okay, okay, hadis, yes. okay um, to, 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 hold on, no, Dr. To, 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 uh, request to summarize Mazhab. I don't know. <laughs> like really, the shortest I've ever given this class is one semester. And then you want to summarize it in two minutes. <laughs> Yeah. We just kidding okay. here. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure the yeah. audience okay. have... will be back with uh ups and everything Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
5: Don't so, <laughs> okay. Okay. So, since you encourage us to ask questions, right?
1: Sure. Alama, <laughs>
5: alama, degrade. <regret. laughs> when you say, alama, you ask for it, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Okay. So, I'm so sweating. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are, you ask. You need to be sweating. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, I'm asking with regards to all of us here, are all modern people. Right, yeah. we all uh, have our own uh, jobs, our own daily lives. Sure. Yeah, so how would you advise uh, uh, for most of us who, um, I would say, um, busy with our daily lives? How do we even start to approach uh, learning hadith, yeah, in a sense in that it can apply to what we need, uh, or how okay. to apply to our daily lives?
1: Okay, that
5: good,
1: question. good yeah. question. So, so. Uh, you need to do a little bit of work on, on your part first, right? So, you sit back and you, you, you ask yourself, what exactly in, in, my, in my studying of, of my faith that I'm lacking in order for me to be a good-functioning Muslim? Okay, so, so then you list out. So, maybe in my ibadah, in my you know, Quran, in my hadith. Okay, so you prioritize them. So, out of these things, these are my top three or top five things that I need to uh, accomplish. These are my priorities for the next, maybe. Give yourself two, three years, maybe. Okay. So, whenever there's an opportunity that you realize there is a class on any of these three topics that is your priority that you need to work on, you enroll in it. Okay. Now, the thing is this. Do not go for class every day. I used to tell my students, like, I teach every day, right? Every day I see this face. This like, like, really, you got nothing to do or like... Watch movie or something or just sleep at home. Like, you know, don't go for class seven times a week. It's Wow. You learn, you learn nothing. Because you have no time to process what you learn. And even as a teacher, I'm telling you, don't. Like maybe, maybe punctuate it by maybe going to maximum two or three classes a week. So you're able to reflect on what you've learned, uh, write down notes, uh, you know, read a little bit of books on, on the topic that, you know. We've learned. So, so that's one. So prioritize to three. And if there's a uh, opportunity for that class coming up, just sign for these three. Now spend two, three years on that topic alone. Right? If the teacher takes uh, more time, okay, just follow him or her. Or if there's another teacher teaching the same topic, maybe if you have the means and ability, go for that class so that you have a, a more wider scope of comparison that gives you a better foothold in that particular knowledge, foundation. Okay, so number one, do not inundate yourself with too many classes that it will even tire you. Uh, then you go for a class just because you, you have to go for a class. No, you go for a class because you want to know something about it and you want to engage with it. And so just choose the few that you need for this phase. And then the next three years, another priority, then another three years, another priority, that sort of thing. Right, and then in a space of one week, uh, spread yourself out maybe once or twice. Uh, that's it, and then another another two or three days to be uh, doing overtime at work. Another two or three days to be just doing nothing, catch up with friends. So you need to have a balanced life. In order for the for the information to to re, to reside in you, healthily, right? And so, example, you choose tafsir or understanding the Quran, and so you 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 go. You know, that will take you right? From Al-Baqarah all the way to uh, Surah an uh, And if that's it and you go <clears throat> really in-depth and that's useful for you, then just go ahead and persevere and finish it if you have to. Right? For hadith, it's very different. And I know of no one who teach all the hadith, not that, you know, whatever, another thing which is impossible. So, usually, they, they start to 40 hadith at most. So, maybe, you know, 40 hadith, maximum 40 weeks. And so, dedicate your 40 weeks like that. So, for example, in hadith, uh, like I mentioned earlier on, so don't just go there to study. Go there, understand what it means, understand the reason behind it, understand the, how to apply it in your daily lives. So, you have one week break before the next class. In that one week, for example, you know, I always uh, have hadith in which my students will have to uh, apply it. For example, you know, uh, how to control your food because Singaporeans love to eat. Right? You look at Instagram, all food, 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 and nothing else about food. Like his life is nothing but to eat. So, okay, fine. So I asked them, that's your weakness. So find a hadith that tells you how to control food. So they'll find various hadith. That, that I, can, I can name a few at the top of my head. So I said, so for this week until the next week, you, what you need to do is try to apply this hadith in controlling your food because this is applying the lesson of the hadith into your life. And so, after one week, you have managed to to do it. The next week, you learn another hadith. You apply that hadith in your life for the next week. So, eventually, you know, when you uh, keep on doing that, it does not become cumbersome and it becomes natural for you to to start changing your lifestyle to the lifestyle of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And you have one week to actually uh, digest it, apply it and see how it fits, how it doesn't fit, you know. So, it's very unique to you. And so that knowledge does, is not, does not remain at the information level. It becomes practical, then it becomes a fruitful knowledge for you. Okay, don't be too ambitious to want to study all, unless you're a full-time student of, of Islamic knowledge, then it's slightly different. So just make sure that you have time, balance it out for you know, for the rest of the week. Even, you, you know, Islam is beautiful. Even, you know, talking about food, the Prophet was very some very specific about food. And you know how specific he says, in every body of us, in order for us to divide proper timing would be save one third of your tummy for solid food, one third for liquid, one third for air. Nice. Then I sit back and I say, Alamak, how to one third, one third, one third? Why well, is one third for air? I don't know what to do. I, I try to apply for one week. I cannot apply. Like, cannot. Then I find another hadith that can be practical. So, in the hadith simpler, much simpler after a few trial and you I found a hadith that says, eat and then stop just before your full." Ah, that, that is easy for me to do. So, whenever I eat, you know, sometimes you eat one portion, you want to say tambah, add on extra rice and, you know, add on the gravy and all that. Uh, but to me, like, after I, I try to practice hadith, like, I can eat some more, but should I? And then the hadith says, stop before you're full. Okay, like I'm about to get full. Okay, stop. Hmm. And then the next meal becomes nice because you're hungry already. But if I were to eat again and did not apply this hadith, I will eat the second portion and third portion. The diminishing marginal utility decreases and then I don't enjoy the food as much as I enjoy the first round. And then when people are going for dinner, I'll be full and then I eat my dinner instead of six or seven o'clock. I eat my dinner at 10 and then I sleep and then it contributes to me being paunchy. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so you, you need to strategize, uh, have a schedule of how you do it and make sure that it's not too overbearing. And then the, the easiest way to to conceptualize and to to preserve it within you, embed it within you is to practice as much as you can that one period one week before the next class how you apply it in your life does it kind of make sense
5: yeah yes, yes. Yep.
1: okay
0: Excellent. Thank, you. thank you thank you cool okay any other questions from the panelists any other questions uh, to the panelists Are all good <laughs> Oh, we have a lot of questions. Yeah. next topic, more topics. Next topic. Okay,
1: Ken, no problem. I got, one, I got one more question,
5: Ken. Ken, Ken. 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 <laughs> okay, this is this is really what uh, I would say. One challenge that I face, lah. Because sometimes yeah. when I first start, like let's say, okay, I want to learn about start the Quran. Very motivated. Sorry, it's when you start what? Let's say I'm. Let's say like Like what we mentioned, okay, I, I want to learn about the Quran. So okay, this okay. is what I want to learn. The yeah. tough sale for example so i'm motivated i'm all out so i find mm. a class and when i attend the class right, um i
4: don't
5: know i don't know how to say maybe maybe not for me maybe the all the aunties love the class but not for mm. me yeah i mean i'm not saying that you know if it's just, sure. yeah. you, cannot, you cannot connect <laughs> Yeah. yeah, correct. So, and then I get disheartened, and yeah. then I'd be like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> then, you know, I might take a break, and then this yeah. break may become very long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, ten years.
1: Right. So, honest. Um, honest. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, I always, I used to I always see you at Majelal <laughs> That's before
5: COVID. Uh, after COVID and stuff, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um. Uh, interesting question because this requires a multifaceted approach. Right? Number one, how do you maintain uh, your your level of enthusiasm in a class that maybe is not inspiring enough? Okay, there are a few things that you can do. Number one, uh, on your part, right? I mean, I can we can talk about the blame of the teacher or the class. We we can you can do that, but that's not instructive, uh, you know. So to be positive, to take over control. Let's see what we can do. Number one, if you think that the class is not engaging enough, you can, uh, you know, ask the students like next week what hadith. And so you sort of like prepare and then you think about it and you, at least if it's in a manner, the manner in which it was delivered is not uh, interesting. Get all your hard questions ready and just wag with your questions and ask and ask and ask. At least you come out of the class uh, all your difficulties are re- being resolved. So when you start to see some form of a, uh, of a, uh, of a uh, tangible, uh, uh, positive response with regards to your queries, your your doubts, then that can be a motivating factor for you to come again next week. And then you ask again. And then you, in that one week period, you think about it. Uh, what are your issues and how? Dif- what are your difficulties? How do you apply them? When you go there, you insist and ask and ask and ask until those questions are being resolved for you. And you can have a discussion as well. Okay, so, so when you, are, you begin to take charge of your classes, then then it starts to make meaning for you. And then, whether he is engaging or not, it doesn't matter because now he's forced to engage you. Right? So, that's something that I think a, a positive way of turning around the situation. Number two, sometimes when you go for a class and you realise that it is not for you because it is, it's not a topic that I'm really interested in. Now, if that is a scenario, then maybe maybe you should go for another class instead. That's something that resonates to you, to to the issues that you want to be addressed, to the kind of uh, queries that you have in life about, you know, so instead of hadith class, maybe tafsir class. You know, I mean, for example. So if it is about the subject itself, then maybe uh, to kickstart your enthusiasm, you might want to go and try immediately find another class. Right, so do not fall into these laps that the class is boring, the subject is boring, uh, the classmates are too old. There's no pretty girls in this classroom. <clears throat> Remember this, huh? So not, nothing, no. <laughs> none of this, <those laughs> because you cannot control these elements, and all you end up will be gossiping and bitching about it, and that's that's not good. So you turn it around and said, "How do I make this session?" useful for me even though it's not the most inspiring class and then you, so you must do the work you come into to class and do the work like for example i don't know how, how you're doing when i was teaching in the us what i always do is every week my students will have to read a book a book and so to make sure that they read the book when we start the lecture i come in they must one by one come to the front and give me their reflection and their comments of minimum four to five pages of the book that they read and so my job is easy. I won't have to go. I don't have to deal with the basics. I was just like from the big picture, let's pick it up. Right. And so it and it makes me enthusiastic. It makes the students who read and engage the book also interested in, in it. Right. So um, So you need to come by doing the work. So for me, I want them to do the work because I don't, I don't want them to ask me questions like, uh, so why Muslim must pray five times a day? Ulama? I was like, oh my God, like, I didn't, I didn't get paid to do all this, you know, answering some basic questions which for free, you know. Ask me something intellectual, ask me something philosophical, ask me something that's challenging, you know. So, so I do that for that purpose, but, but it, it kind of helps the students as well. So from that, I learned that if it doesn't work for you, you, make sure that you come in with the work. And so that it will work for you. Okay? So, I hope that sort of like is you, you into, yeah. Inshallah. So, okay. so, if it doesn't match your, your expectation, then make it known that it doesn't match your expectation. This answer is not enough for me. I need more. Just say it. It's okay. And if anyone says you need more, that means you don't have faith, you just walk out of the classroom. as a useless guy. Lah. <laughs> you know what I mean yes, yes this is this is what we call modernity right <laughs> okay like, I mean like okay have a bit of adult, like, you know you know yeah okay good <laughs> okay. okay
0: any more questions uh, dear panelists any question on the floor
1: so how's yeah, the floor I mean, today
0: floor today okay wait somebody said we are from China no we are not we are from Singapore mm, we are Chinese ethnicity but from Singapore, okay.
4: I'm not I'm Chinese. Not. Okay, I'm not but from I mean, Singapore.
0: But okay, this is uh, it's kind of Chinese from, but from not. Netherlands. Chinese from Netherlands, Sino Dutch. Okay, then me and me and Amir are from Singapore Chinese. But I have no idea the history of China. Also, don't ask me about China. I don't know.
4: Okay. Uh so if
0: you, if you. <laughs> I don't. <know. laughs> so any serious okay, like, question they had, they need to. But most of the questions that are asked on the floor. Uh, what you have answered like one of them is uh, there's so many hadiths uh, on Facebook how can I tell which is authentic which are not which you explained you know you should also
1: check cross-section of <sighs> the yeah, books. I know, and- I know I know your difficulty Mr. Brother Muhammad Kin. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. I find it like irritating actually uh, okay don't judge me lah. Uh, in my Facebook uh, circle of friends I have no Muslims I'm irritated with them because usually they quote this hadith. I know they use this hadith to, like, um, uh make snide remarks about one of their friend who did this. You know, you, you know that kind of thing. Uh, so, and I, I, don't think like copy paste a hadith and put in your social media helps in in anything in in promoting an understanding of anything, right? Uh, instead, you know, sometimes it's used for a negative purpose. So mm. I kind of don't like any of any of this and sort of like ignore it. So the best way to find out whether the hadith is something that you can use or you cannot use is to study them. Study the isnad, the narrator. Study the mutton. Study the context. Study why the Prophet said this. Because the Prophet may say a few seemingly conflicting things off on the same subject. So... So, the Ustaz will tell you, okay, he said this, he said, this, he said this. However, in this, this is what happened. Therefore, he said this. So, this is what happened. Therefore, he said this. So, then you are, you are able to, to gel this together. Otherwise, then to you is why are they contradictory? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? And then in, in in every study of hadith, the first thing that what you're going to start, the Ustaz will start off by saying, this hadith is graded whether Sahih, Hassan, uh, whatever it is. And then he will tell you why it is graded as such. Or if he doesn't say, you ask, Ustaz, why is this graded Hassan? Which one of the narrators is it, or is it is it because of the content? Ask now that you have <clears throat> know a little bit that we talk about it. So just ask. No, uh, no questions are stupid. No questions are shy to ask. No questions are sinful. If it is in the promotion of your spiritual knowledge to know more about the word of God or the word of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Okay. So, statements,
0: are uh, comments are like interesting, we need two, three, four part to this. Yeah, agree.
1: Long story. This sounds like a lot <laughs> okay, of... So, this. Yeah, this is true. Uh, the Quran, the hadith, like when I was thinking about it, why am I going to talk today? It's like, no, I can talk about this. Oh, no, no, cannot. It's too much. But I have to talk about that first. So, like my difficulty is conceptualizing what to say uh, because of the details that is embedded within these different subjects. So, um, but uh, do not be... Put off by the difficulty or the technicality of the subject. I mean, this Quran and Hadith alone can be very, very technical. Uh, I can just fly overhead. But the first thing you need to do, and this exercise in this chit chat session, uh, would be to give you a solid, easy to understand, like you know, the idiot's guide to Quran, idiot's guide to Hadith. So this is what I'm doing right, in one hour, 30 minutes, I mean, there's really not much I can do. So, I simplify it to give you a framework, and then if, let's say, you suddenly become very passionate about the Quran, and then from there, and then you pick up the Quran, and then from there, you, you pick up the hadith, uh, the, the, the translations, the, the understanding of the Quran books, then that's how you develop bit by bit. But you have the framework in your mind from these uh, casual discussions that we have. Okay. If I were to start by talking about the technicalities of it, even I will fall asleep. Actually, in you know, I mean, Singapore is now almost like midnight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So anyway, one of the things that sh- uh, this lady mentioned is, you know, is in the Arabic is fatra kasro and dohma. The one that comma that I was talking about, the atas, yeah. di atas, di bawah, and di depan. Uh.
1: Yeah. So in my generation, we don't know this word. So I just say like tanda atas, tanda bawah, tanda depan. You know, you uh, know. <laughs> That that kind of thing, but if you study ikra, and then you know it has a more technical um, wording to it. So that's why I never teach uh, how people how to read the Quran because I, I never grew up learning, you know, this kind of technic- technical jargon. So I, I need to use them, and if I don't know them, I cannot teach them. So I don't. Okay. Um, I mean, remember, uh, Firdaus uh, used to ask me, right? You uh, said so yeah. you teach ngaji. Somebody wants to learn ngaji. I said, no, I don't. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody's asking Brother Edison here, are you Muslim or not? I don't know. You want to tell him? <laughs> uh, hi. Assalamualaikum, brother.
3: Assalamualaikum. Yes, I am a Muslim, uh, converted last year, December 30th. So I'm a newborn Muslim. So, yeah, that's why I'm in this chat because I met up with Brother Fidawus and uh, decided to convert to understanding more uh, about Islam. And yes, I don't convert because I want to get married. I convert because I want to know more about, uh, Allah and about God. You
1: know, yeah. If you're interested in Brother Amir's uh, story, there is actually an episode of why he converted to he, you know, became a Muslim. Correct? Yeah. One of yeah, two episodes. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yes. yes, correct. Just go to Shah uh, channel and you will see Brother Amir being featured. But this kind of also has an episode all by himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you're born Muslims, <laughs> no one <is laughs> <a> Muslim. <laughs> like uh oh, born Muslim. Okay, switch off channel. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, okay, so the answer is given, really. Okay, good. Um, let me see, there's not really much. I mean, somebody's recommend, I think a, a lot of good recommendations here. We have like read the Silk Nectar,
1: the biography, of the, it's, a, it's a book, yeah. that is a history book. Uh, I don't know cool. why you talk about Rahiq al because that's a book of Sirah, uh, History of the Prophet Wasallam. Today is Quran and Hadith. But mm. and, and it's a very it's really good book to, to read. It actually <laughs> awesome. won the best book on the history of the Prophet. Mm. And the author is, uh, you know, my name is Saiful Rahman, right? The author is Saiful Mubarak Puri. Mm.
4: It's not
1: me, but you know, same, <laughs> same, same namesake. <laughs> Somebody
0: commented that uh, to learn the science of the hadith, you need your whole life to learn.
1: <laughs> True. I agree. Because it is not easy. What I'm telling you is really uh, hadith divide by 10, divide by 10, divide by 100. Like it's, that, I mean, it's just something that's workable uh, you know, mm-hmm. for us to, to be productive with, with the next step. But to really study it, like, you, you know, even, even somebody who does uh, undergraduate studies uh, and their specialty is hadith, uh, the maximum they, they study, not memorize, I just study is about a couple of hundred hadith in that four years of, uh, of learning. So, like, it's not enough. You're right. Everything is a, is, is a, a lifetime. So, so that can actually become something positive. So, mm. do not overstress that maybe you don't know too much, or maybe, you know, like you're struggling, it's okay. Just space it out because all of this discovery about yourself, about your soul, about, about, about your faith, is a lifetime journey. But, like I said in the very first episode, Islam is a message of hope. Don't, don't, don't sweat too much about it. You're, you're only required to put in effort because when Allah judge you, by the time you, you, you know, you move on to the next world, Allah judge by the quality of your journey, not because of how much you have learned, hmm. right? So, so so relax. It's a religion of peace, so be, 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 be calm, be peaceful, uh, don't sweat too much.
0: Okay, I think uh, we are done for tonight. I think most of the questions have already been answered. Hmm. Um okay. I have one last one though. Do we need to have such you know comprehensive knowledge of the hadiths and the Quran before we become Muslim? I know the answer to this question, but I'm just asking it out loud because what's the answer?
1: Since you know. Huh? What you see, you no, know I, the answer?
0: But so the, the answer of
1: of a teacher answer, is not to test him in on his knowledge, you know, you know the answer and then you ask.
0: <laughs> no, no, I asked the question because this is probably most of you know, okay, because most uh, people who who want to come to Islam, right? They say, ah, yeah, but I don't know enough of the hadith or I don't know enough of the Quran. I think- you want to, About someone coming into the faith, is it? Yes. They, do I, do they need to know into so much depth? Then what what you have to say about this? Part? I
1: You know, I used to teach this uh, and I used to say this and the Muslim uh, girlfriend or boyfriend uh, usually are very angry with me but I don't care, lah, you know? I don't owe them anything. <laughs> <laughs> the first day I said, well, uh, this is a class on knowing the basics of Islam. Uh, and among other things after that I said if you want to convert because of him let me tell you he's not worth it no one is worth (laughs) it and the the boyfriend looked at me like olama bro (laughs) it's true no one is worth it to convert you need to to become a Muslim because you believe in it because it's not like wearing your clothes you can change today change tomorrow you know it's something that you live with and it shapes your whole worldview your whole spirit it's about your soul so when you want to embrace the faith, you must at least know something about the faith that convinces you that this is the right one. That on, in principle, generally speaking, that this is what makes sense and this is something that you you, you you can live with. You know, if you marry, if you convert because you marry, what if the marriage doesn't work? Do you go back? And so the fool is who? You. Right? So it must be for your own self, based on your own conviction. So no one is perfect in that knowledge. But as long as you concept, you know, that's why we talk about what Islam is in the first episode. And I say, you bear everything else is about one God, right? So if, if you more by and large believe that there is one God and it cannot be two or three or three plus three is one or whatever. So you, you're halfway there. Okay. Um, do you want to ask a question? Whether am I always believing in the one God, or sometimes yes, sometimes no? No one is always always believing in the one God. No one, even the born Muslims, we have doubt sometimes, and you know the prophecy of faith go up and down like a cycle. So as long as by and large you believe in that one God and you understand that the way of life, as a Muslim, is the kind of life that makes sense to you, and there's not much, there's no contradiction in it, and you know it's the truth, then. Straight away, there's the time for you to decide that, okay, I need to seal this deal and then, and then uh, revert. Go through the process. You know, because no one would know it enough, 100%. Like, I don't know, I, I mean, I'm, born, I'm a born Muslim and, you know, I teach Islam in a sense. I don't know 100% of it. Maybe like 60%, I would say. So, if you're going to wait for 100%, it will never happen. Right? So the idea is, as you, if you believe the general principles, the basic tenets are something that you agree with and it makes sense and it's something that you want. And then uh, the Prophet ﷺ used to say, if you want to do something good, do it quickly before shaitan whispers to you. You know, But if you want to do something bad, let's say I have in my mind to punch uh, Iskandar.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: because I know you can parry my attack because... Uh. Yeah, So, so in my mind, I'm going to do something bad. I must reserve it. Delay, delay, delay. Until maybe, you know, whatever changed my mind and I, I don't want to punch you anymore. So, when you do something bad, delay, delay, delay. When you do something good, quickly, quickly, quickly. Okay. I mean, end of the day, every teacher was once a student, right? So Every teacher is once a student and every teacher is still. And this is the humility that Islam... Enjoins uh, if you totally understand it not only are you a teacher you will be a student of your life I mean look at Imam Ghazali at the end of his life he's the great teacher of his the century he is, was he was the mujadid uh, he was uh, you know the voice of Islam but when he was dying he 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 called his student to 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 just teach him and the student said why am I going to teach you you're my teacher you know more than me he said no just teach me something I want to die as a student mm mm-hmm. Because the journey of learning is a lifetime journey and it should not stop. Once you stop, you die. Once the ego tells you, you are PhD, ready. You know, when the ego tells you, I'm a graduate, I'm done. Then that's it. Lah. You have died.
4: <laughs>
0: Zero growth after that. You don't grow, yeah, you don't grow.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, uh, thank you so much, Saifur Rahman, for tonight, for explaining, you know, something so deep and heavy in topic in two hours. Okay, but it's long, but it's good. I think it's, you need more time, maybe. and I hope you can teach me until long, long time forever. <laughs> but what I'm going to say is, uh, thank you for all the knowledge that was shared today, uh, questions asked by the panelists, and questions asked thank on the Thank you for floor. being here thank you for joining us you know, sp- you know spending this quality time with us and you know going through this long, long two hours with us you know I, inshallah we have more topics uh, ahead planned for this um, next week though the next Sunday we'll be doing reverse story but not really this guy's story Who he's already reverted but it's more like the process
1: after he reverted, what happens and... after re- so this is another important part that you, you might want to hear. It's interesting because usually we hear at the point of re- reversion. This is after a couple of years, so are your challenges the same? Right? And it's kind of interesting. So it might resonate even to, to to most of us, whether you're born Muslims or you know, you revert yourself. So yeah,
0: yeah, join us, and and his name is Bilal, who will be meeting a bilal.
4: Uh, <laughs> yes. I don't... Yes, no a Bilal.
0: Party. Yeah, you're going to invite also a Bilal who does the Azan here in Singapore. So, Bilal meets Bilal. <laughs> okay, so I hope this, this uh, brief uh, title would encourage you to come online next week to join us. And right. inshallah, may you all have a blessed yeah, share with your friends, Inshallah, and we thank you so much uh, for being here tonight. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Hey, wait, 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 before wait, we wait, go. Wait, 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 wait. Ah, I forgot one thing. Tasbih uh, kafara
1: and Tos أن الرحمن في وعمل الصالحات good night everyone. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh
0: الله